Welcome to the LYC Podcast. We are a youth community that believes in loving people and meeting them where they are. Our desire is that through this message, God's love for you is confirmed, your hope in Jesus is renewed, and your faith is awakened. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. I want to read a passage to you that kind of frames tonight's talk. John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 5. Are you there? No? Okay, we'll give it a couple more seconds. You know, my favorite meal today uh, was those like chicken nugget things. They're pretty good. Are we there now? You know what I'm saying? Okay, we're good. Enough talking about food. Let's jump into the word of the Lord, which is uh, food for our souls. Um, mm, come on. Mm, it's half of amen, so we're almost there, you know? We're almost there. Let's go. John chapter 14, starting in verse 5. It says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said back to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works, say greater, Greater. works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we come before you tonight. We seek your face. God, we come back to the basics that we would, we would encounter you in a fresh way, that your spirit would stir up in ours. God, would you reveal your way to our hearts, God? Would your kindness draw us into repentance? God, we're hungry for what you have for us. We want to look like you, and we just know we need a word. So Lord, I pray that you make these words on a piece of paper into life into our very spirits. God, may we be quick to obey. Oh, we trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said? Amen. 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 I had to take my sweatshirt off. I'm planning on kind of going in tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to, trying to get a little bit hot in here, right? I'm going to work it up a little bit. I want to ask the question tonight as we continue this kind of series of conversations on what it means to form a resilient faith. I want to ask the question, what does it really mean to be human? So over this weekend, we talk about Jesus encounters us, interrupts our lives, and invites us in to be disciples of him, that we would have a resilient faith, that we would look like him, love like him, live like him, continue his ministry, that we'd be apprentices, those that not only know his word, but live his word and continue his work in this world. And this morning, we talked that we are formed 
by our stories. That God wants to encounter the whole of your story. For some of the super holy ones, we talked a little bit this afternoon on what it means to be formed by practices. See, God doesn't want to just give you information. He wants you to live differently. He wants to invite you into a lifestyle of intimacy. Reading the Bible, prayer, Sabbath, community aren't just fun buzzwords that make up the church. They're actually ways that we engage in an intimate relationship with God. And what we do reinforces what we believe. So we're formed by story and we're formed by practices. We're also formed by mission. And what I mean by mission is that meaning of life. What does it really mean to be human? What does it really mean to have purpose? What does the Bible teach us about having a vision for our life? I know some of you are like, I'm in sixth grade. I'm just trying to figure out how to get my phone back so I can play Fortnite on the ride home. I don't really know what it means to be human. I'm trying to figure out how to wear deodorant every single day, right? Like, and that's a good practice. But the truth is, is where you are starting right now in, a, in your life coming to some pretty significant conclusions that have pretty weighty consequences on the rest of your life. And I'm not trying to heap a bunch of pressure on you. I'm just trying to make it, make you aware that we're coming to conclusions on what it means to be human and what it means to have purpose and what the meaning of life is whether we're intentional about it or not, because culture, like we talked about this morning, hands you a vision for your life. You know, there was once a time when being human was just intrinsically connected to where you were born. Your job was going to be what your father's job was. Your role in society was going to be what your family's role in society was. And you just continued the work of your family you continued the labor of your, of your tribe. But we've kind of progressed past that in the West. Now we live in a time where you can be whatever you want to be. And we ascribe to be the best versions of ourselves. We want something for ourselves. We have a pressure of making something of ourselves. And, and honestly, friends, the further along we get in this, the more the pressure increases to be something significant at a young age. You feel the fear of missing out, of figuring out who you are. Like maybe I'm too old. And that feels so strange to me. But when I, I remember being like, if I don't do something big, and this is the way I thought, if I don't do something big before I'm 25, then my life's basically meaningless. That's literally how I live my life. Like my whole life from like ninth grade on was like do something significant before 25. I talk with young people now and they're like, if I don't do something big, like before I'm in ninth grade, it's over for me. Like I'm never gonna make it on TikTok. I'm never gonna have enough followers. Like no one's gonna, like, like I'm never gonna have enough people that know me. This is a real pressure. I don't know if you feel this way. But I know that as a part of this generation, there is a pressure to not only become something, to figure out who you are, but to figure it out soon so that you don't miss out. 
I love this quote. Therefore, the millennium and a half transition from Augustine, who's a church father, to the present day has resulted in the commonly held belief that God does not save us for his glory and to make us a part of his people, the church, to grow in holiness. Rather, we essentially save ourselves through loving and accepting ourselves and heeding the counsel of psychology. The ultimate goal of this is not that we would glorify God, but rather we would achieve our potential, experience our greatness, or in theological terms, live for our own glory as worshipers of ourselves, being all we can be, experiencing all we can experience, and doing all that we can do, being seen by the world. This is the mission. This is the meaning of life that's handed to you by this world, that's stirred up by the media. And I'm not anti-media, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer or Mr. Negative guy or, or fear monger. I'm just saying, this is what you've been given. This is why when you go into a new school year, you wanna make sure you have the right clothes, the right look, the right fit, all the right stuff, know the right language, say the right things. The pressure to be cool isn't just because you want to be cool. It's because there's a pressure in your life to figure out how to get in with the right people, be seen by the right people, figure out who you are, find your thing, and make sure you're recognized. Culture has swapped the creator for the created. God is simply made by humans. In other words, the story that the world teaches us is that you are God. And it's up to you to prove to yourself that you're a good God. It's up to you to write your story in such a way that proves to you that you're a good God. Live your life with the right practices to prove to yourself that you're a good God. You know why we sing good, good father so much at our church? It's because here's the deal. It's not that I love that song. It's that most of us spend most of our lives trying to prove to ourselves that we are a good, good God over our lives. And it's time again that the church reclaims that we serve a good, good father who goes before us, who speaks identity, who writes our story, gives us a way to live and gives us a mission. It's not up to me and it's not up to you to find the meaning of life. It is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. In our cultural moment, community, this, the gathering of people, whether it's found in places like this, in our schools, in our sports teams, simply exist to validate your self-made identity. When we get in community, culture teaches us that the only value community has is to validate the identity that we've created becomes a commodity. Community must honor the individual, acknowledge the individual's capability of creating a fulfilled life, approach the individual uh, with tolerance and acceptance, prevent harm from the individual, and no longer force the individual to adhere to the communal morality. In a secular community, it is the responsibility of the individual to create an authentic self and it is the responsibility of the community to accept whatever conclusions they come to. 
It's a lot of pressure on the individual. And that's a lot of pressure in gatherings. I mean, I'm sure if we're honest, we feel that pressure. People come up to you and go, this is me, love me. You gotta accept me. You gotta affirm me. You gotta believe what I believe about myself. That's a lot of pressure. This is why community is difficult. This is why the church has to stand opposed to this. No, 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 no. You don't get to figure out who you are because you didn't make you. God made you. I am not my own in Christ. So really, Christian community exists to confront where I think I'm right and don't surrender to Jesus. This is why church can be uncomfortable sometimes. Community has been reduced to connections that validate your self-expression or critics that reject your true self and cancel you. This is the pressure that we face right now. The community around you, whether in this room or online, is either going to accept your version of yourself or cancel you out of the community. Man, that's, that's a lot of weight. You have to figure out who you are, what you're supposed to do with your life, and then make sure enough people validate it so that you can be credible. In my early 20s, I... Uh, had the opportunity to, to join a company that would consult creative entrepreneurs. So I'd work with musicians and artists and kind of like photographers and videographers and help them kind of develop their company, develop their brand and, and work with them to kind of create an online platform. And I remember I was talking to another friend who was doing some coaching and consulting and I was like, man, it's hard to get, get some credibility as a brand, right? Like I would work with some people that were designing clothes and whatnot and they're like, I can't get enough people to, to recognize me as a company so people don't feel comfortable ordering from me, right? You know what I'm talking about? You, like you scroll through Instagram, it's like this guy's got five followers, definitely not buying his t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a threshold to figuring out if this brand's gonna just rip you off and take all your money. And so I'm talking to my friend, I'm like, these are great guys, like they're selling good products. What do I gotta do? And he goes, oh, Mitch, dude, you're thinking way too hard about this. All you gotta do is spend $100 and buy 10,000 followers. That's all you gotta do. And I was like, wait a second, you can just buy followers? And he's like, yeah, I do it for half of my clients. You buy, you buy credibility. This is what we do, not just in social media, but what we do with society. We, we view people, not as what they can offer in relationship to us, but simply we exploit them for credibility. I've got enough people around me, enough people know my name, enough people validate who I am, enough people think I'm this, that, and the other. They are something to be bought. No longer do we share life with each other. We exploit each other for validation because we're insecure about the identity that we created for ourselves. You know what kind of identity you don't have to be insecure about? One given to you by the one that made stars and planets who knows everything about you, who he says you are, has validity because of who he is. Who you think you are has to be proven by who you can get to validate you. What you build, you have to sustain. What God builds, he sustains. So let God build your identity. Let God build who you are. Let God renew your story, renew your way of life, give you a mission, bring you into a new community. If you let God do this, He's surely faithful to finish the good work that he has started in your life. We're tempted to see people as a commodity to prove 
that we really exist. I'm not anti-social media. I think last time I spoke here, I probably was. I'm not anti-social media. I just think it becomes really toxic for us because our identity is connected to validation and that becomes an engine that plays right off of that. And you're in a season of your life where you're gonna have to make some serious decisions on who you think you are. And there's just, I'm just a firm believer of like, don't subject yourself to temptation that you don't need to subject yourself to. Like sometimes it's, temptation is inevitable, you know what I'm saying? But you don't go walking into it like, I got this, you know? Like you don't need to do that. You literally don't. You can get a flip phone and call it good or no phone, it's all right. Like you don't need one. Somehow humanity existed before cell phones. It's just true, you know what I'm saying? Humanity existed before you had to figure out who you were, not just in your school, but also online. Like you're, you're not a brand. You don't have to worry about it right now. But we treat our lives like companies and we have to run our lives like a full-time job and it just is exhausting. It just is exhausting. The mission of life is no longer to be present, but to present yourself to the rest of the world so that everyone else sees you. A few years ago, I was uh, in Los Angeles and I somehow was invited to this party that was supposed to be pretty extravagant. And uh, I, I'm not that cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's like practicing humility and honesty. I'm not that cool. Uh, so I was out of my depth, like not ready for this one, right? And um, there was rumors that like Kylie Jenner was gonna be there. So I was like, what, <laughs> what am I doing here? Like I'm a pastor, no, I am not, what am I doing here? And then so I got there and I was like, okay, okay, just fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it. You can do this, you can do this. And I see this extravagant dance floor and I'm like, oh no, I don't dance well, you know what I mean? Like I am, I'm gonna be, I'm going to look terrible. I already feel out of place and now it's going to be apparent to everybody. And it's like this beautiful party and I'm like, okay, mustering out, like I am preaching to myself, like completely, like just, just trying to motivate myself. Like, come on, man, this is your shot. Bust a move. Somehow the spirit of God's gonna move and your hips are gonna just like get loose and you're gonna be able to be like, that's my dance move. You see, like, do you see that? That's not even good. Like I need to do like Zumba or something, you know? Like I was like, I was like, come on, Mitch, you can do it. Mitch, 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 Mitch. And then I go out there and I'm like, oh, right, here we are. And then all this like, th and this is happening, right? Not once again, like I'm just proving, I'm embarrassing myself. I don't, I don't even need to do this, okay? So anyways, I'm out there and I'm like dancing and then I look around and no one else is dancing. I'm surrounded by these in influencers and all they're doing is like literally like this. <laughs> yeah. It was like trying to show everyone who they were around. And I was like, this is the lamest party I've ever been to. This is, it, was the, it was like hands down the most expensive thing I've ever attended and the worst thing I've ever attended. I don't know why I was there. I ended up there probably just for a sermon illustration, right? Like God was like, here you go, Mitch. But I'm there and I'm realizing if we saw that on Instagram, you'd go, wow, 
Like, you know, like that technique where you're like, this party's nuts, and you're like shaking your phone so it looks like the music's going really loud, right? That's a free tip for you guys. You ever want to make something seem awesome? My birthday party, ah, you know, just shake your phone. You would see it and you'd go, oh my goodness, look who's there. Look who's tagged. That's significant. Oh, that person must have some credibility because they're around this person and this person and this person and this person. But if you were present there, no one was present there. It was all simply about putting on display who you're around and who you know because of the insecurity in you that I'm not good enough just by myself. I have to make sure that my life is proven its worth by who I get around, what I do, what achievements I have, what kind of status I have, what doors I can walk into, how much money I have, what kind of clothes I have. Most of these people just rented their clothes. Like, like you realize this, right? Like, it is not hard to just rent something and then return it. Half the people we think are dripping on Instagram, it's fake, it's rented, it isn't real wealth, but it makes us jealous and we think one day if I get that, then I can prove that I'm worth that. And so we spend our time thinking of plans, plotting, scrolling grail to make sure we can get something so we can prove to someone that we're worth it, we got the drop, we have the stuff. Because we need things to, to prove that we're worth something, that we have value. And if we don't, if we don't see it, like if you don't like step out of it, this becomes all consuming. This is the mission of your life. This is the mission culture teaches you. Figure out the right things and go after it as hard as you possibly can. As hard as you possibly can. The mission culture gives you is one of becoming known, becoming seen. We're all tempted by it. I'm tempted by it. My friends are tempted, my family's tempted. We have to figure out what it means to be seen by an audience of one and let that be enough. It's a fragile mission and it's an unfulfilling mission because it's never ending. Let me tell you how it plays out. You, you receive the invitation from culture and the mission from culture. And every single night before you go to bed, you might even say a prayer to God. Say amen. You'll flip your pillow over and you'll have a little conversation with yourself to see if you're living up to proving your identity is worth something. It's a plague in our church. We have to be those that reclaim that the only significance I have comes from Jesus and it's so much greater than any significance I could earn, achieve, or prove to anyone else. It's not an arrogance. It's a humility. And it's a humility that's found in the secret place of when you look in the eyes of your father and he says, I love you and I see you and that's enough. And you spend time there and you go, I trust you, God. I trust you. And it takes time and Jesus wants to form us into a better mission and give us a more profound reason to live and purpose for breathing. Band, you can come up. I'm going to move towards a close. Uh, 750 years before the birth of Jesus, God was speaking to his people through prophets. They were anointed and appointed to speak on behalf of God. But see, these prophets didn't 
always just give a word of God. Oftentimes, the prophets in the Old Testament had to prophesy the word through word and deed. They actually lived the word that God was giving them for the people of God. See, God's always been about incarnational interruptions, putting flesh to his word and interrupting the people's lives that he's calling back to him. And one of these prophets is the prophet Hosea. He's a prophet from the northern part of Israel. And as he's being called by the Lord, the Lord gives him a specific task. In Hosea 3, starting in verse 3, it says, And the Lord came and said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. In other words, she was a prostitute. She was in the industry. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. In other words, in the same way that my people turn to find their love in other forms, in other ways, through stuff, through things, through achievements, through likes, through validation of others. God tells Hosea, go and find your wife. The one I've called you to marry, who's turned away from you and your family and found other lovers just like I. Come to my people who have turned from me and found other lovers in the form of things. So Hosea goes and he looks for his wife, the mother of his three children. And he finds her being sold pays the price for what was already his, the one that he had already made covenant with, the one that he didn't do anything for the covenant to be broken. He found her and he paid for her. And picking it up in verse five, it says, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in his latter days. For the children of God shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord, in awe and wonder to God and to his goodness in the latter days. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, is reclining at a table in his house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick need a physician. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Quoting verbatim the prophet of Hosea, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus in Matthew 9 verse 13 quotes Hosea, surely alluding to the religious leaders of the day that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Hosea, of Hosea that he is the king 
God incarnate coming back for his people willing to pay the price for their life all God has come back through Jesus and calling his bride back he's coming for you he loves you he's willing to pay the price for you he paid the price for you to bring you in he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Hosea and he's come back to make covenant with his bride for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son he sent Jesus came for us Luke 19 10 he came to seek and save that which is lost that which has found its meaning all over the world which has given itself to many other lovers and many other ways of finding purpose that are shallow and fragile and easily broken those that have built their life on sand those that have built their life on lies those that are striving and exhausted from trying to create their own reality their own identity those that are giving all of their effort their zeal and their passion to being seen and known by communities Oh, he came back for us. He came back for us. And he came back to give us a new story, a new way, and invite us into a mission that if we would repent and turn from our ways, turn from our style of living, and go and adhere to his, oh, we'd have life that is truly life. We'd have identity that's strong, not fragile, not shaken, not broken, but strong. Oh, he's come to give us an identity, and that identity has a purpose. The mission of God is to interrupt human history and invite us to be a disciple. God's mission is for a people, a kingdom, and renewal of all things that is eternal, never stopping. To interrupt and invite. To interrupt and invite. The work of God is to interrupt and to invite. Maybe this weekend is an interruption and an invitation. Maybe you've already experienced that interruption and that invitation. The church's mission is activation and equipping. We'll talk about Ephesians 4 tomorrow. The church's mission is to activate those that have been invited by God to equip them so they would be mature in their identity, rooted up, no longer shaken and stirred and wooed by the deception of this world. The church's mission will not end until the end of the age, until Jesus comes back and brings it all into fulfillment. God wants a, a people, a kingdom and renewal, a bride that calls people up and into the presence of God, equipping them for good works that they were predestined for. And your mission, what is, what is your life? What is the sum of the dash between your birth date and the day that you die? It's whether or not you receive the invitation of Jesus, walk with Jesus, and partner with Jesus for the renewal of all things. Oh, the church needs you. The body needs you. We need you. Oh, what a shallow version of church if it's just the few. But what a great vision of church if it's all of us. What a great vision of church if it's all of us. God wants you. You 
play a role. You have a mission. Your identity is meant to be expressed to the world, not hidden, not kept private, not just a set of beliefs that you you withhold from sharing during Thanksgiving and, and Christmas or first dates and first interactions as to not make a bad first impression. No, the world needs you to know who you are, but not who you think you are, who God thinks you are. Oh, and the world needs you to know this so that you would express this. Too many of us, too many of us have seen people suffer. Have seen the pain that this world can bring. You know how we redeem that pain? You find your identity in Christ and you take back territory from the enemy. It's not his. Don't think that the enemy wins that battle just because you've experienced pain. God wants to make in you a strong identity that you would continue and express the goodness and the mercy and the glory of God to broken places that you would light up dark places. We're not supposed to just be Christians and go, that's a dark place and that's a dark place. No, we're meant to go to the darkest places and bring light. Oh, come on, what would it look like if this was the generation where the suicide rates in teenagers went down? What if this was the generation where depression and anxiety just didn't increase at the trajectory that it's going? Where isolation and loneliness didn't plague us? Where we were perpetually exhausted all the time? What if this was the generation where we actually believe the good news? That God wants to do something? What if we actually believe that God wants to give us a resilient soul that can withstand suffering? Well, what if this generation isn't the generation when faced with doubt, you coward and deconstruct your faith? What if, what if, what if this is it? Like, I just believe that it is. But it takes us humbling ourselves, getting honest with our story, letting God into our story, getting honest with their practices, letting God shape our way of life, receiving the identity that God has for us, expressing that identity through our mission, just to glorify Jesus and to bring renewal to all things. And so we find ourselves at this table with Jesus in the passage that I read at the beginning. He's recounting all that he's done, summing up his ministry with his friends. This is right before he's about to die. And he's explaining the mission of God and he's revealing the price he must go and pay to rescue the world. He's preparing for his death and he's embracing that pain with his disciples. And then he does what any good rabbi would do, but it's the thing that we forget that God wants to do in our very lives. He's commissioning them. Man, we don't, I, I'm, I'm done being a church that just wants disciples that stay in their seats all the time. Like it doesn't work anymore. It, like we can't just be like, oh God, I just don't know enough. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. God wants to send you. Every one of his disciples was sent. Every one of his disciples was sent. And he wants the church to reclaim this, like we are meant to be filled till we would go and fulfill the mission of God in this world, to be sent ones, to build new churches, to reach people, to love people. There are places that only you can go. There's experiences that you have that God wants to redeem, that he would actually change lives. I can't do it. Brand, Pastor Brandy can't do it. Our churches can't do it. Only you can do it. And there's no one else coming. 
Oh man, the days are short. We don't know how much longer we have. I hope Jesus comes back, but I want a bride that's ready to go after and I just believe God's ready to deposit his spirit in young people. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. I'm, God wants willing people. God shows up where he's wanted. Do you want this? Do you want it? You want to change things? Like God shows up where he's wanted. He comes to the hungry, to the humble. He says he lifts the humble. He anoints those that have yet to prove anything. When you encounter the love of Jesus, you must go. When you encounter the love of Jesus, you must go. And so tonight, like every session, we encounter the invitation of Jesus to, to, just, to just take a moment the cost of the invitation but you're all here which tells me this is something you you already you know what God is asking you like many of you like you know what God's asking you to do so may I just remind you of the invitation to repent to confess and receive to follow to participate and how do we do this through the broken body we hope you've been inspired by this word. To help awaken your faith on a regular basis, subscribe now so you can be alerted when we have a new message. Thank you so much for listening.